I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me. I want to share with you tonight a story by an author who may be new to you. His name is Wilhelm Hauf, and he was born in Stuttgart, Germany in 1802, received his education at the University of Tübingen. He graduated from the university in 1824 with the degree of Doctor of Philosophy, and for the following two years filled the position of tutor in a nobleman's family. It was during his leisure hours there that he composed the greater part of the works upon which his fame rests. My thanks to Burkhard and Monica for introducing me to these stories. Tonight's story is from a collection called The Caravan. Like the Arabian Nights Entertainments and Boccaccio's Decameron, this collection has a frame story. A group of merchants in the Middle East are crossing the desert, returning from Mecca to their homes. They are joined by a man named Selin Baruch, whose uncle is the Grand Vizier of Baghdad. He proposes that when they stop to rest each day, one of their number tell a story to pass the time, a pleasant respite during a wearisome journey. You are right, Selim Baruch, said one of the merchants. Let us act on the proposal. I'm glad the suggestion meets with your approval, said Selim. But that you may see I ask nothing unfair, I will be the first to begin. The merchants drew nearer together in pleased anticipation and had the stranger sit in the center. The slaves replenished the cups and filled the pipes of their masters and brought glowing coals to light them. Then Selim cleared his voice with a generous glass of sherbet, stroked the long beard away from his mouth, and said, Listen, then, to the story of the Caliph Stork. One fine afternoon, Chasid, Caliph of Baghdad, reclined on his divan. Owing to the heat of the day, he had fallen asleep, and was now but just awakened, feeling much refreshed by his nap. He puffed at a long-stemmed rosewood pipe, pausing now and then to sip the coffee handed to him by an attentive slave, and testifying his approval of the same by stroking his beard. In short, one could see at a glance that the caliph was in an excellent humor. Of all others, this was the hour when he might be most easily approached, as he was now quite indulgent and companionable, and therefore it was the custom of his grand vizier, Mansur, to visit him every day at this time. As usual, he came to-day, but as was unusual with him, his expression was quite serious. The caliph, removing the pipe from his mouth for a moment, said, "'Why do you wear so sober a face, Grand Vizier?' The vizier crossed his arms on his breast, bowed low before his master, and made answer, "'Sire, whether my face be sober or no, I know not, but beneath the castle walls stands a trader who has such beautiful wares that I cannot help regretting that I have no spare money.' The caliph, who had long wished for an opportunity to do his vizier a favor, sent his black slave down to bring up the trader. The slave soon returned with the man, who was short and stout, of dark brown complexion, and clothed in rags. He carried a box containing all manner of wares, strings of pearls, rings and richly chased pistols, cups and combs. The caliph and grand vizier looked them all over, 
And finally, the caliph selected a fine pair of pistols for Mansour and himself, as well as a comb for the vizier's wife. Now, just as the merchant was about to close his box, the caliph espied a small drawer therein, and desired to know if it contained still other valuables. By way of reply, the trader opened the drawer, disclosing a little box containing a blackish powder and a paper covered with singular writing which neither the caliph nor Mansour was able to read. These two articles, explained the trader, came into my possession through a merchant who found them on the street in Mecca. I do not know what they contain, but for a small consideration you are welcome to them, as I can make nothing of them. The caliph, who took pleasure in preserving old manuscripts in his library, even though he might not be able to read them, bought both the paper and the box, and dismissed the merchant. Then, curious to know what the manuscript contained, he inquired of the vizier if he knew of any one who could decipher it. "'Most gracious master and benefactor,' replied the vizier, "'near the great mosque lives a man called Selim the Learned, who understands all languages. Let him be summoned. Perhaps he might know these secret characters.' The learned Selim was soon brought. "'Selim,' began the caliph, "'it is said that you are very learned. Look for a moment at this writing, and see if you can make it out. If you can read it, you shall receive a new holiday cloak from me. If you cannot, you will get instead twelve lashes on the back and twenty-five on the soles of your feet for being misnamed Selim the learned.' Selim made an obeisance, saying, Thy will be done, O sire. He then examined the writing long and attentively, suddenly exclaiming, If this be not Latin, sire, then give me to the hangman. Read what is written there, if it is Latin, commanded the caliph. Selim thereupon began to translate as follows, Man, whoever thou art, that findeth this, Praise Allah for his goodness. He who takes a pinch of this powder, at the same time saying mutabor, will be able to transform himself into any animal, and will also understand the language of animals. Whenever he wishes to reassume the human form, he shall bow three times towards the east and pronounce the same word. But take care that thou dost not laugh while thou art transformed, or the magic word would vanish utterly from thy memory, and thou wouldst remain an animal. When Selim the learned had read this, the caliph was pleased beyond measure. He made the scholar swear never to mention the secret to any one, presented him with a beautiful cloak, and then dismissed him. Then, turning to his vizier, he said, I call that a good investment, Mansour. I am impatient to become an animal. Come to me tomorrow morning early. We will then go together to the fields, take a little pinch of this magical snuff, and then listen to what is said in the air and the water, in the forest and field. No sooner had the caliph Chassid dressed and breakfasted on the following morning than the grand vizier arrived, as he had been commanded to do, to accompany him on his walk. The caliph put the box containing the magic powder in his sash, and after bidding his attendants remain in the castle, started off, attended only by Mansur. They first took their way through the extensive gardens of the caliph, 
vainly searching for some living thing in order to make their experiment. The vizier at last proposed that they go farther on, to a pond where he had frequently seen many creatures, more especially storks. The caliph consented to the proposal of Mansur, and went with him towards the pond. Arriving there, they saw a stork walking up and down, looking for frogs, and occasionally striking out before him with his bill. At the same time, far up in the sky, they discerned another stork hovering over this spot. "'I'll wager my beard, most worthy master,' said the vizier, "'that these storks will hold a charming conversation together. What say you to our becoming storks?' "'Well thought of,' answered the caliph. "'But first let us carefully examine again the directions for resuming our human form. "'All right. By bowing three times towards the east and saying, "'Mutabor, I shall be once more caliph and you grand vizier. "'But for heaven's sake recollect, no laughing, or we are lost.' "'While the caliph spoke,' he noticed that the stork above their heads was gradually approaching the earth. Quickly drawing the box from his girdle, he took a good pinch to his nose, held out the box to the vizier, who also took a pinch, and both then cried out, Mutabor. Their legs at once shrank up and became thin and red. The beautiful yellow slippers of the caliph and his companion took on the shape of stork's feet, their arms developed into wings, their necks were stretched until they measured a yard in length, their beards vanished, while white feathers covered their bodies. "'You have a beautiful bill, Mr. Grand Vizier,' cried the caliph, after a long pause of astonishment. "'By the beard of the prophet, I never saw anything like it in my life.' "'Thank you most humbly,' replied the vizier, bowing low. "'But, if I dare venture the assertion, your highness presents a much handsomer appearance as a stork than as caliph. But come, if agreeable to you, let us keep watch on our companions over there and ascertain whether we can really understand storkish. In the meantime, the other stork had alighted on the ground, cleaned its feet with its bill, smoothed its feathers nicely, and approached the first stork. The two newly made storks now made haste to get near them, and, to their surprise, overheard the following conversation. "'Good morning, Mrs. Longlegs. So early in the meadow?' "'Thank you kindly, dear Clapperbill. I was just procuring a little breakfast for myself. How would a portion of lizard suit you, or a leg of a frog?' "'Much obliged, but I have not the least appetite to-day.' I come to the meadow for quite another purpose. I am to dance to-day before my father's guests, and therefore wish to practice a little in private. So saying, the young stork stepped over the field in a series of wonderful evolutions. The caliph and Mansour looked on in wonder. But when she struck an artistic attitude on one foot, and began to fan herself gracefully with her wings, the two could no longer contain themselves. An irrepressible fit of laughter burst forth from their bills, from which it took them a long time to recover. The caliph was the first to compose himself. "'That was sport!' exclaimed he. "'That money could not buy. It's too bad that the stupid creatures were frightened away by our laughter, or they would certainly have tried to sing.' Just here the vizier remembered 
that laughing during the transformation was forbidden them, he communicated his anxiety to the caliph. Zounds! By the cities of the prophet, that would be a bad joke if I were compelled to remain a stork. Try and think of that stupid word, Mansor. For the life of me, I can't recall it. We must bow three times toward the east, calling Moo-moo-moo. They turned towards the east and bowed away so zealously that their bills nearly plowed up the ground. But, oh horror, the magic word had escaped them, and no matter how often the caliph bowed, and how earnestly the vizier called out, Moo! Moo! their memory failed them, and the poor Hasid and his vizier remained storks. Sadly, the enchanted ones wandered through the fields, without the slightest idea of what course they had better pursue in their present plight. They could neither get rid of their feathers, nor could they return to the town with any hope of recognition, for who would believe a stork were he to proclaim himself caliph? Or even believing the story, would the citizens of Baghdad be willing to have a stork for their caliph? So they stole about for several days, supporting themselves very poorly on fruits, which on account of their long bills they could eat only with great difficulty. For lizards and frogs they had no appetite, fearing lest such tidbits might disagree with their stomachs. The only consolation left them in their wretchedness was the power of flight, and they often flew to the roofs of Baghdad where they might see what occurred there. For the first day or two they noticed great excitement in the streets, followed by sadness. But about the fourth day after their enchantment, while they were resting on the roof of the caliph's palace, they observed down in the street a brilliant procession. Trumpets and fifes sounded. A man in a gold-embroidered scarlet coat sat upon a richly caparisoned steed, surrounded by a gay retinue. Half Baghdad followed him, and all shouted, Hail Mizra, ruler of Baghdad! The two storks perched on the palace roof exchanged a glance, and Caliph Hasid said, Do you perceive now the meaning of my enchantment, Grand Vizier? This Mizra is the son of my deadly enemy, who in an evil hour swore to avenge himself on me. But still I will not give up all hope. Come with me, thou faithful companion of my misfortune. We will make a pilgrimage to the grave of the prophet. Perhaps in that sacred place the spell will be removed. They rose from the palace roof and flew in the direction of Medina. But so little practice had the two storks had in flying that it fared hard with them. "'Oh, sire!' groaned the Grand Vizier after a few hours' flight. "'With your permission I shall have to stop. You fly much too fast.' and it is now evening, and we should do well to look out for a place on which to alight for the night. Chassid hearkened to the request of his follower, and perceiving a ruin that promised to afford a shelter, they flew down to it. The place they had selected for the night bore the appearance of having once been a castle. Beautiful columns rose out of the ruins, while several rooms, still in a fair state of preservation, testified to the former splendor of the building. 
Hasid and his companions strolled through the passages, seeking some dry sheltered spot, when suddenly the stork Mansor stopped. Sire, he whispered softly, I wish it were not so unbecoming in a grand vizier, and even more in a stork, to fear ghosts. My courage is fast failing me, for near here there was a distinct sound of sighing and groaning. The caliph also stopped, and very plainly heard a low sobbing that seemed to proceed from a human being rather than from an animal. Full of curiosity, he was about to approach the place whence the sounds came, when the vizier caught him by the wing with his bill, and begged him most earnestly not to plunge into new and unknown dangers. All in vain, for the caliph, who even under a stork's wing carried a stout heart, tore himself away with the loss of a few feathers, and hastened into a dark passage. He shortly came to a door, through which he plainly heard sighs intermingled with low groans. He pushed open the door with his bill, but remained standing on the threshold in surprise. In the ruined room, lighted but dimly by a small lattice window, he saw a large owl sitting on the floor. Large tears fell from its great round eyes, while in passionate tones it poured forth its complaints from its curved beak. But when the owl saw the caliph and his vizier, who by this time had stolen up, it raised a loud cry of joy. Daintily brushing the tears from its eyes with the brown-spotted wings, it exclaimed in pure human Arabic, to the wonder of the listeners, "'Welcome, storks! You are a good omen, as it was once prophesied that storks would be the bearers of good fortune to me.' As soon as the caliph had sufficiently recovered from his astonishment, he made a bow with his long neck, brought his slender feet into a graceful position, and said, O owl of the night, from your words I believe I see in you a companion in misfortune. But alas, your hope that we can give you relief is doomed to disappointment. You will yourself appreciate our helplessness when you have heard our story." The owl requested him to relate it, which the caliph did, just as we have heard it. When the caliph concluded his story, the owl thanked him and said, Listen also to my tale, and learn that I am not less unfortunate than yourself. My father is king of India. I, his only and unhappy daughter, am named Lusa. That same sorcerer, Kashnur, who transformed you, plunged me also into misery. One day he came to my father and demanded me in marriage for his son Mizra. But my father, who is a quick-tempered man, had him thrown downstairs. The wretch found means, by assuming other forms, of approaching me. And one day, as I was taking the air in my garden, he appeared, dressed as a slave, and handed me a drink— that changed me into this horrible shape. He brought me here senseless from fright, and shouted in my ears with a terrible voice, Here you shall remain, ugly, despised by every creature until death, or until some man voluntarily offers to marry you in your present form. Thus do I avenge myself on you and your proud father. Since then, many months have passed, Lonely and sad, I live as a hermit within these walls, 
abhorred by the world, despised even by animals, shut out from all enjoyment of the beauties of nature, as I am blind by day, and only at night when the moon sheds its pale light over these walls does the veil fall from my eyes. The owl finished her story, and once more brushed away with her wing the tears which the recital of her sufferings had caused. The caliph was sunk in deep thought over the story of the princess. "'Unless I am in great error,' said he, "'there is a hidden connection between our misfortunes. But where shall I find the key to this riddle?' "'Oh, sire,' the owl replied, "'I suspect that too, for when I was a little child it was foretold me by a soothsayer that a stork would sometime bring me great good fortune.' and I think I know a way by which we can accomplish our own rescue. In great surprise, the caliph asked her in what way she meant. The sorcerer who has done this wrong to us both, she answered, comes once a month to these ruins. Not far from here there is a room in which he is accustomed to hold a banquet with many of his fellows. Many times I have heard them there. On these occasions they relate to each other their shameful deeds— Perhaps then he will indulge the magic word you have forgotten. Oh, dearest princess, cried the caliph, tell us, when does he come, and where is the banqueting hall? The owl remained silent for a moment, and then said, Do not take it unkindly, but only on one condition can I inform you. Speak out, speak out, exclaimed Chassid, whatever your condition, it will be acceptable to me. Well then, I am also desirous of being set free, but this can only happen by one of you offering me his hand. The storks were somewhat disconcerted at this proposal, and the caliph beckoned his follower to leave the room with him. Grand vizier, said the caliph, closing the door behind them, this is a pretty piece of business, but you now might take her. "'Indeed?' answered he. "'And thus give my wife cause to scratch my eyes out when I get home? "'Then, too, I am an old man, "'whereas you are young and unmarried, "'and therefore in a better position to offer your hand to a beautiful young princess.' "'That is the very point,' sighed the caliph, "'as he sadly allowed his wings to droop to the ground. "'I would be buying a cat in the bag. "'For what assurance have you that she is young and beautiful?' They discussed the matter for a long time, until at last the caliph, convinced that the vizier would rather remain a stork than marry the princess, concluded to fulfill the condition she had imposed on himself. The owl was greatly rejoiced, and confessed that they could not have come at a better time, as it was probable that the sorcerers would assemble there that very night. The owl then left the room with the storks to show them the banquet-room, for a long time they walked through a dark passage, when finally there streamed out bright rays of light through a broken wall. As they came up to the wall, the owl cautioned the storks to remain perfectly quiet. The gap in which they stood overlooked a large room adorned on all sides with marble columns and tastefully decorated. Countless colored lamps made the place light as day, in the center of the room stood a round table covered with various dainty dishes, and upon the divan that encircled it sat eight men. 
In one of these men the storks recognized the trader who had sold them the magic powder. The person who sat next to him called on him to relate his latest deeds. The trader then told the story of the caliph and his vizier. "'What kind of a word did you give them?' asked the other sorcerer. "'A very hard Latin word, mutabor.' When the storks from their place in the wall heard this, they were almost beside themselves with joy. They ran so fast toward the outlet of the ruins that the owl could hardly keep up with their long legs. Once clear of the building, the caliph said to the owl with much feeling, "'Savior of my life and the life of my friend, as a lasting reward for what you have done, take me for your husband.' Then he turned to the east. Three times the storks bowed their long necks to the sun just rising above the mountains. "'Mutabor!' shouted they, and in a trice they were men again. Then, in the joy of their newly returned life, master and follower were laughing and weeping by turns in each other's arms. But who could describe their astonishment when they turned around and saw a beautiful lady, richly dressed, standing before them? With a smile she gave the caliph her hand. "'Do you no longer recognize the owl?' she asked. "'It really was the princess.' The caliph was so enraptured by her beauty and grace that he declared his transformation into a stork had been the best piece of fortune that had ever happened to him. The three now set out together on their journey to Baghdad. The caliph found in his clothes not only the box of magic powder, but his purse as well. He therefore bought in the next village whatever was necessary for their journey— and thus they soon reached the gates of Baghdad. There the arrival of the caliph caused the greatest surprise. He had long since been given up for dead, and the joy of the people at getting back their beloved ruler knew no bounds. All the more was their wrath inflamed against the traitor Mizra. They rushed to the palace and took the old sorcerer and his son prisoners." The caliph sent the old man to the ruins and had him hanged in the very room that had been occupied by the princess when an owl. But to the son, who understood nothing of the art of his father, he gave the choice of death or a pinch of the powder. As the prisoner chose the latter, the grand vizier offered him the box, a generous pinch followed by the magic word of the caliph, and he became a stork." the caliph secured him in an iron cage which was placed in the garden. Long and happily Caliph Hasid lived with his wife, the princess. His pleasantest hours were always those of the afternoon when the grand vizier visited him. Then they often spoke of their adventures as storks, and whenever the caliph felt unusually merry, he began to imitate the grand vizier as he appeared when a stork— he stalked up and down the room, set up a great clapping, waved his arms as though they were wings, and showed how the vizier had turned to the east and called, Moo, moo, moo. All this was great sport for the caliph's wife and children. But sometimes, when the caliph clapped too long and cried, Moo, 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 too often, the vizier was wont to silence him 
with the threat that if he did not stop, he would tell the princess what their conversation had been before the door of her room in the ruin. You have been listening to The Caliph Stork by Wilhelm Hauf. If you're enjoying the series, please tell your friends about it. And drop me a line, if you will, at rfiggy, that's R-F as in Frank, I-G-G-E, at worcester.edu. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, all the best. (laughs) 